Welcome to the Less Doing Podcast, where you will learn how to start living more by doing less. Let me help you optimize, automate, and outsource your entire life so you can focus on doing the things you love. Now here's your host, Ari Mizell. So I've got Mark Fisher here of Mark Fisher Fitness, uh, which is a actual gym, uh, but he also does business coaching and consulting. And he's a really interesting guy. And you've, you maybe you've seen him on social media. He's in really, really, really good shape and has amazing hair, right? You get that a lot. <laughs> uh, and uh, I'm very fortunate to have him here on the show. So thanks, Mark. Yeah, thanks so much for inviting me, Ari. So how did you get into fitness? Let's start there. Yeah, I think the, I guess the relatively succinct version is I grew up not into sports at all in any way. And I grew up, arguably is one of the first generations of men that grew up really, really not liking my body and having a lot of anxiety around feeling weak and feeling skinny. And essentially by the time I got into high school, I just you know, it's just so desperate and hoping that a girl might kiss me one day if I worked out. <laughs> so as terrifying as the gym was, I, my senior of high school started getting into fitness and it was a very interesting transition for me because the gym, and I think this is something that you can probably see reflected in certainly how MFF approaches fitness, but the gym was this place that I did not feel comfortable and was in fact exactly reminiscent of everything that I did not like about myself. But like many people that get into fitness, what happened was I had this beautiful experience of watching how when I did certain things and I moved certain ways and I ate things, my body changed in visual ways. And I think that was a very powerful experience for me because I think it showed me that I have a volition in life and that I'm not purely at the effect of the universe and I can do things and I can create inputs that will have outcomes. And throughout my twenties, I moved to New York city as a aspiring actor with a BFA in musical theater. And throughout my twenties, I just got more and more into the fitness piece and I can be an incredibly obsessive person. So when I like something, <laughs> I really like it and I really liked fitness. And essentially throughout my twenties, like many actors, I had a side gig and I was described fitness was sort of the mistress that I left my wife for in many ways, as much as I really loved acting, there are some really you know, challenging things about acting as a profession. And fitness was something I was just more and more passionate about to say nothing of the fact, but profession aside, that the gratification you get from working with someone directly and seeing not just the changes in their fitness, but the changes in their confidence and the way they're looking at their life was very, very gratifying. And essentially, I just got to a certain point where I had reached a tipping point and I knew that personally, I didn't want to be leaving the city anymore and doing regional work, which was a large part of my career in my 20s, but also that I really wanted to try this thing. And I think another important tipping point that in many ways kind of indirectly gave birth to Mark Fisher Fitness as a business was the summer of 2010, I had decided almost on a whim that I was going to attempt to read or audiobook two books a week. And I think I had heard some mentor figure 
mine had done it. And admittedly, it's completely arbitrary number. But until that point, I had always been a pretty big reader, but not in that level of dedication and regimentation. And I started reading a business book every week and a training book every week. And slowly, I really got into business. And it's an interesting kind of frightening thing because I look back on that time and between 2010 and the following summer, so this all happened very quickly, for much of that year, as recently as June of 2011, I thought it was crazy to open up a business. I was getting an opportunity to grow Mark Fisher Fitness, which at that time was a one-man band. I had a six-week transformation program. I was doing personal training, and I was immediately putting to work I think some latent skill sets and talents, but everything that I was reading about branding and marketing and building an email list. And at that time, I was very satisfied with what I thought would be a life as a solopreneur. And I was perhaps correctly daunted by what it would mean to manage a team and deal with real estate and deal with payroll taxes and all that that stuff that happens when you have a business. And uh, luckily for me, uh, my non-sexual life partner, Michael Keeler, who is my business partner and been a, a best friend since we were in high school together, essentially uh, viciously manipulated me and convinced me to start a business. And uh, you re- and really what happened was I became so inspired by this concept of like, oh, we can make like our community theater group. We can like make a community of people we want to spend time with and we can do this cool thing together and we can all like make the world better and make a great living. And that's really kind of how Mark Fisher Fitness was born and became a thing. And then the past several years have been this sort of increasingly delightful and bizarre adventure where as MFF has grown, we've been very fortunate because we've gotten, you know, a lot of cool press because the brand is very out there. And that has opened up a lot of opportunities for us first through speaking and then doing coaching, consulting on uh, various functions of business that I think we are adept at. And I would just mention anybody listening hasn't gone to the website yet, uh, I would say go to markfisherfitness.com and then this will all make a lot more sense. But I'll tell you just the very high level is it is a gym for people that don't like gyms. So we don't even call it a gym. We call our clients ninjas. We call our homes the enchanted ninja clubhouses of glory and dreams. Our mascot is the unicorn. It is it is very eccentric, eccentric place. Yeah. Okay. So, and they do have to go look because the, the visual of this is very important. There's an atmosphere that you get from your facility and your branding that is just completely different. And and I also want to point out, I don't, I don't know if you have any opinions on this, but like David Barton gym, for example, I feel like there's uh, there's a a different like a, a similar maybe look to it, but it's like a totally different brand in my opinion. You know, like. David Barton to me looks like it looks like a kind of a, a, a disco in a way, but it doesn't seem to have the fun that yours does. Yeah, I think there is a you know, and certainly I have great respect for that. I'm very aware of the the legacy uh, that I'm within, and certainly there's no doubt Mark Fisher Fitness owes a debt to, to David Barton. Everything from even the gym being named after a person to they were. You know, the aesthetics of David Barton is so unlike a traditional gym. If people are not familiar with, like you said, it's sort of like this kind of sexy disco, very gay friendly place. They had drag queens teaching up front. So, in that sense, there certainly are some similarities, but I think you are correct in that Mark Fisher Fitness is distinctly weird and nerdy and offbeat and quirky and certainly irreverent in a way that a lot of the more couture, higher end, very hip, beautiful, urban New York spaces are not. And that is not a judgment. That's not to say that that's wrong of them to do that. But for me, it was like, you know, my people are like the theater kids and like the marching band and like the 
right. like the stoners and the math club, you know? So I wanted to make a space that would appeal to my friends that didn't identify maybe as athletes and didn't feel spoken to by the current fitness offerings. So that's part of the method behind the madness of Mark Fisher Fitness's brand. But, but then again, still, and to your credit, like you're not going as far as something like a curves, right? Where you're, you're really, I mean, it's, it's wonderful to create like a safe space like that, but it's also, it's very limiting, right? It's not open-minded in a lot of ways. Whereas what you've created is really. Yeah, totally. And we certainly, you know, we're, we're pretty rigorous about the fitness. So essentially like our tagline is ridiculous human serious fitness. And from a marketing perspective, we don't always talk a ton about how really rigorous our training methodologies are, because quite frankly, to the consumer, they can't, they can't really tell the difference anyway, generally. Um, so, and further, most people, you know, that that's not really like a benefit that many of them are necessarily looking for, though certainly our clientele tends to be a little bit more intellectual, tends to be a little bit more discerning and values that we really know what we're doing. But it is, you know, this interesting juxtaposition between on the one hand, it's pink and it's glittery and it's unicorns and it's capes and it's existential madness. But then when you come in, we, I mean, like we're going to, we're going to train, <laughs> we're, we're going to like deadlift and we're, we're going to deadlift well with good technique and with load. And we're going to do the things that we know create physiological change in the body. Yeah. And, and that's the thing is it's, it's like, it feels like you're not taking yourself too seriously, but you're being very serious at the same time. Yeah. 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 It's like, you know, the classic, like we don't want to take ourselves very seriously and we want to make it fun, enjoyable for the people, but we also want to take yeah. the, the I mean, work seriously. It really? It's, I mean, kudos to, for being able to, to, uh, craft that the way that you have. So how does that, if at all, how does that relate to the business coaching and work that you do there? I think it's a similar situation. I think the business coaching brand is not nearly as out there as MFF. Part of that is because I think, quite frankly, the, well, you know, Mark Fisher Fitness in many ways was already alive when Michael Keeler came in. We are definitely mom and dad of MFF, whereas I think Biz for Unicorns is definitely much more of like a shared project from the get go. And Michael is brilliant. And not quite as insane as I am. Um, so in some ways, you know, that I think has been sort of an organic evolution of Mark Fisher Fitness. It's still certainly unconventional and certainly our approach is eccentric and certainly in line with the values of Mark Fisher Fitness. But the branding is not as absolutely insane. <laughs> Even though by, you know, by most standards, that's probably hilarious because I imagine if people were to look on the site and read some of our stuff, they might still find it very bizarre, particularly if they see me speak, but comparatively, it's not as out there. Uh, and that was very much done by design. And what kind of companies do you work with typically? You know, we certainly do a lot in the fitness space. That's definitely uh, still our bread and butter, in part, frankly, because in our stream of the fitness industry, we are very well known. So there was a waiting body of people that were hoping to work with us and learn some of the things we have found effective. But I think to our surprise, what's been interesting being in New York and having a very large community of ninjas that are not in the fitness industry is that has also opened up a lot of opportunities for people that either work in executive coaching or maybe they work in a company and like they want us to come in and do a workshop with their team. So I think our wheelhouse is definitely service-based industries because the things we tend to focus on are things like customer service and you know healthy organizational cultures and developing teams. But it's been a real kind of like hodgepodge. So it's been everywhere from 
you know, doing workshops on customer service for Sylvan Learning to doing goal setting with executives at Sony Music to doing um, feedback and conflict mediation with Red Door Elizabeth Arden. So it's it's been a real kind of hodgepodge. Uh, and admittedly, in in all candor, I think that's something we're <laughs> organically figuring out right now because there's a few different things that we do. And uh, I would say Biz for Unicorns right now is in college. So it's uh, it's bi-curious right now. It's really <laughs> kind of experimenting, doing some drugs, figuring out what it wants to be. Um, and, uh, you know, right now we're very much enjoying that process of of following where our bliss is leading us and starting just now, actually, to start getting analytical and be like, okay, this feels like the right fit. Uh, because something I know that you talk a lot about that I really appreciate and value is also always starting with lifestyle design, starting with, you know, I only have so many hours in my day. <laughs> what is the best use of those hours to make the maximum impact, uh, but still allow the time that I want for, you know, to spend time with my friends and just have time to read and reflect and sleep <laughs> and hang out with my wife and my dog, who I really quite like. Yeah, uh, <laughs> of course. Um, and when you're so back to the brick and mortar for a second here and, and relating to culture, when you're bringing people in to be trainers, which you're calling ninjas, right? So like, is how do you find people that are going to be a good fit for that? Yeah. So when we're bringing in trainers these days, we are lucky because we have a little bit of a name in certain circles. So essentially we have a trainer in residence program. So it, it's similar to an internship, but it's not an internship in the sense that people are paid and it is, we're looking for people with some experience in the field. And that is great because that allows us an opportunity to work with people for a few months, really braise them in our cultural juices and really see how well they're able to live to our cultural values. And it is admittedly an adventure. It is definitely an adventure and it definitely something over the years. We, you know, we, we have found ourselves quite often finding these really elite strength coaches and helping them really bring out their freak flag and wear glittery top hats. And then we've also found really lovely, insane people and then turn them into proficient strength coaches. So over the years, we've definitely done both of that. Um, and it's been interesting too. Because we've become as well-known as we have, we've really had the opportunity in the past few years to bring in some people with a lot of experience, which has been awesome. And just recently, we've started to make sure we need to create an onboarding ramp because historically, many of our people were members of the Broadway community that we taught to be coaches. And I think there is real value in probably in any organization, frankly, to have people that are both in the world and people not of the world. And that is something that when I, I think about the organization as a soup is something I, I think about quite a lot. But, but to answer the question specifically, they apply for this training residence program. We work them for a few months and then occasionally they get called up to stay on Broadway. <laughs> on Broadway. Yeah. Yes. Um, they, get the, they get the show. They get the right, job. Right. <laughs> and what is for you the biggest challenge in your business right now? Um, I think right now, yeah. I mean, I would say like for today... Uh, I think right now, MFF is, we're coming up on our eighth year now, which is awesome because the business in really good ways, I think has really professionalized. And we've, I think really gotten our arms around a number of systems and a number of numbers that are very useful for us to run the business. And I think each of the functions now are run by a strong person that I think is really starting to think strategically. However, part of the situation is when you run a brick and mortar gym, you know, particularly looking at a lot of the trainers, like it's, you know, people are not 
always trainers into their 60s. So oftentimes when we're working with people, I know it's not a forever home. And right now, what I think we're looking to put in place is how do we create, how do we make our onboarding and our, how do we make our casting, so to speak, so strong that people can, we can make a seamless system where we're able to bring people into the organization. Because I know, you know, like I said, it's something I think a lot about is for some people on our team, they're going to have aspirations that Mark Fisher Fitness, because at least as of right now, we're not looking to scale very aggressively, that as they grow and want more opportunities and more growth, we're super supportive of helping people move towards whatever future that they're passionate about. And I'm very interested in how Mark Fisher Fitness can support that. And right now it is creating this moment at MFF where we're figuring out how do we Yes, seamlessly integrate new people in the culture so that there's enough continuity. Because an interesting a challenge we had a couple of years ago, which I wouldn't have been able to articulate was a challenge, is we had almost no one leave for years. And that too presents its own challenges. It's a good problem to have. But we've really been, I think, revitalized and refreshed by this trainer in residence program. And now I think we're really putting together what does the system look like where we can really consistently reproduce ourselves and uh, if you're familiar, one of my favorite books about culture is a book called Legacy about the All Blacks, which are a, a rugby team. And there are a number of really useful takeaways from that book. One of the things I was very inspired by is in their culture, a, a value is leave the jersey better than you found it. So as we look towards the future of MFF, which is no longer... Uh, a startup by any means. And now I'm thinking, all right, what does MFF look like in 2030? Uh, I'm very inspired by this challenge of how we put those systems in place. And what, uh, like, have you started to do that? Yeah, for sure. And it, there's a number of pieces to it, right? The most obvious tactical piece was just really making sure we have an ironclad interview process, like a very specific 10 step system. Like anybody that's in business, of course, we are super system nerds and the game really is you just keep something that always starts often intuitively and artistically eventually has to become these written out standard operating procedures. And not only they become written down, but ideally every good system, the final, the final stop of the system is feedback on how that went. <laughs> and then looking for these incremental improvements over time to make things tighter and tighter. And what, uh, what does that interview process look like now? So right now, and it depends on there's a different onboarding for the trainers and residents versus the front desk team. But the front desk team now, it's essentially like a 10 or 12 step process, which I don't have memorized off the top of my head, but it's, it's as specific as like the first step is like, let the team know internally and then look for friends of the friends. Then the second step is go to the ninjas and our existing community. Then the third step is if need be, if we need more candidates, then do more traditional job searches. And then there is um, you know, there's a first thing, there's a 15 minute phone screen interview. And then if they get called back, then there is a group interview. Then if they get called back from that, then they do like an interview with me. And then of course we've got, you know, a number of particular questions we developed, uh, using all the interview best practices, things we've stolen from the years or from various people, from things like top grading and such, like making sure to ask for a reference up front, making sure that those questions are about a specific time in the past. 
So we're asking about specific behaviors as opposed to hypotheticals, which will tend to garner a more <laughs> uh, aspirational response, uh, making sure that those questions are directly lied into the cultural values that are important to us. Uh, and then from there, yeah, and then, every, then of course, once that's done, then you're onto the next system, which is, of course, this onboarding process, which is its own you know, adventure and something that is, is similar with a client or customer is a real important opportunity to really set the tone for what that relationship will be like. So what's the first thing that happens when a customer signs up at Mark Fisher Fitness? What are they like? What, as far as like that customer experience, the customer journey, like what happens? Yeah, I think, I mean, the most meaningful first experience, and we are right now really digging, uh, interesting enough, digging into our customer onboarding, because I think we, particularly with things like our health and honest strategy session, I think we have an opportunity to really up that experience. But the first, the activation moment, if you will, is the ninja baptism. So they come to a class and they are baptized. And in this class, it is a platooned moment where they learn the essentials of movement. Um, and we always say that the, the point of that class is to teach them not only movement technique, but teach them our cultural way of being. Because at Mark Fisher Fitness, one of the things we've done is like looking at biomechanics and looking at essentially training philosophy and then trying to teach it in the stickiest ways possible and using metaphor, using imagery. So for instance, most people, and I know, I think you're in a fitness, right, Ari? Yes. So you've, have you ever heard of the term anterior pelvic tilt? Fancy term. Yes. Okay. So most people are, and basically what that means for anybody listening that doesn't know what that means, if your pelvis is a bowl of cereal, most people, the bowl is tipped forward mm -hmm. and the golden grams are running down your genitalia. So most people have a very arched back and the bowl is tipped forward. And we call that position porn star because we find that people can remember that more clearly. Conversely, if you tuck your pelvis under, if you tuck your tailbone under you, that position we call sad dog. So we have an entire essentially methodology of looking at positioning and movement. And then we've attached all these very bizarre terms to them. So we find that to be a not only useful because from a motor skill acquisition perspective, they learn more quickly, but it's also another way of indoctrinating them in our culture. And cultures, you know, as we know, are, are largely show up in the words that we use. And there's something to be said for linking them as a member of the tribe because we all speak this admittedly eccentric language together. So, and even there, um, as I mentioned, we're kind of really digging into our onboarding lately. Uh, I recently read Joey Coleman's Never Lose a Customer Again, which, yeah, if, if anybody's listening, if they're in customer service all and haven't read, I just thought it was just such a brilliant, actionable, fantastic book. So we are over the next few weeks, like really digging into that. Cause I think we have a number of opportunities to really blow people's minds even more than we do. And I think our onboarding is, is certainly like pretty good, but now that I've read that book, I'm really inspired to see, um, you know, how can we make that so personal? How can we make that so remarkable that people are just absolutely losing their minds? Yeah. And that's, I mean, that's great because it's funny. I might, so my wife signed up, uh, at Equinox a couple weeks ago because it's right near us here and i went in with her we sat down met with a guy um we were there for like eight minutes signed up and was like okay have a good day <laughs> we walked out that's it <laughs> and i was really surprised uh i mean i was i mean i was surprised that i was not surprised uh but i would have expected yeah. something a little bit different than that yeah because uh, i'm think, like i'm right? obsessive I mean, about customer journeys like i'm always looking at that and um especially when yeah. you don't see them 
Yeah, it's 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 so interesting too, right? It's just such a missed opportunity in so many businesses because it's, it's it's not even like that hard. You just have to think about it methodically, um, and really, you know, ask yourself how do we how do we celebrate this particular moment? How do we celebrate this moment? And you know, how are we really checking in along the journey to make sure they're moving along? How are we making sure they're actually achieving the results they signed up for? So it's a uh, you know, if, if anybody's listening, to this is inspired. I yeah, I can't recommend never lose a customer again enough. Yeah, and and Joey's been on the podcast, and Joey's a Joey's a friend. That's it's a great great. Oh, right on. Um, so what are this is the last question? What are your top three pieces of advice for people to be more effective? And you can interpret that however you like. Oh gosh. Oh wow. What a, what a wonderfully broad question. Um. Okay. This is, wow. This is a really good brain teaser. Okay. I'll go with, uh, one comes to mind immediately. Uh, I think that is get very good at utilizing feedback, get very good at asking for and utilizing feedback as data. Feedback is something I think a lot about. I'm actually doing a, uh, presentation mini workshop on this coming weekend because I am, a Ray Dalio fanboy. So anybody listening, um, there's a, one of my favorite books is a book called Principles by a famous hedge fund investor named Ray Dalio. And essentially, when you think about critical thinking, <laughs> you're largely just trying to determine what is actually true so that I can make good decisions about what to do about what is actually true. And certainly, if you're looking to be successful at life and if you're looking to be successful at business, the only way one can see outside of yourself because you're on the wrong side of your eyes is to be gathering data from the world around you and other people's perspectives and other people's opinions. And for various reasons we don't have time to go into, that can be a very fraught process for many people. But nonetheless, that is an a priori condition, I think, for success in life is getting good at finding out what is true by processing external feedback. So that's one that comes to mind immediately. I think secondly answering to be effective broadly. I think committing to being a lifelong learner and studying not, not just broadly, but studying how you learn and understanding your learning style. So for instance, I seem to learn very effectively from books. And for several years, I think I was like, read books, everybody, like just go read a bunch of books and start a business. And uh, I think that was, that was well-intentioned of me. And now the longer I've been in the game, the more I've, I've come to understand not everybody learns effectively through books. So I think you committing to lifelong learning and committing to understand the way that you learn so that you're making effective strategic choices and making the kinds of commitments that are going to actually facilitate the type of learning you need to do. And I think the third piece to be effective uh, is, I'll say, begin with the end in mind and make sure on a regular basis you're auditing what is the vision of the life you're looking to create so that you can reverse engineer back to that and discern, okay, well, if that's where I want to be in five years, where do I need to be in one year? And if that's where I want to be in one year, what skills do I need to master? What do I need to be world-class at? Whether, whether it's me or if you're looking at an organization, occasionally you can outsource things and there's certainly a lot of value in that. But what do you need to master at to create that vision? And then working back from that, then make the decisions with how you're allocating your ongoing personal development time and your continuing education time to master those skills. Those are great. That's pretty good. for. And those are the three things yeah, I just no, put that worked very, back. very well. Well done. <laughs> Uh, we'll wrap up here by telling people where they can find out more about you and the gym. 
The best place to find out more about Mark Fisher Fitness is markfisherfitness.com. Uh, if people are interested in learning more about Business for Unicorns, they can go to businessforunicorns.com. Um, I have recently gotten on Instagram, which I'm quite liking, so they can find me at mfisherfitness. And if anyone's interested in seeing my speaking schedule or looking at me in weird pictures, oiled up and riding a dragon, fighting a man chicken, etc., they can go to markfisherhumanbeing.com. Awesome, Mark. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to the Less Doing podcast. At Less Doing, we help entrepreneurs who have opportunity in excess of what their infrastructure can support to set up systems and processes that empower a team to ultimately make themselves more replaceable. That way, they can optimize, automate, and outsource everything in their businesses in order to be more effective. If you want to find out more about Less Doing, the podcast, the blog, the books, and all of the wonderful programs we offer to help you get from where you are to where you know you want to be, go to lessdoing.com slash podcast and check out our OAO blueprint so you can get started today.